What's up? It's Jonathan Hood. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast brought to you by Miller Lite, the presenting sponsor of the 2020 ESPN 1000 Virtual Fantasy Football Championship. Find out how you can be a part of it at ESPNFFC.com. It's ESPNFFC.com. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jonathan Hood with you on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Glad that you are with us. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, IGJHood. My friends, every night at 8 o'clock, we give you something football. It's called the Summer of Football. The Summer of Football. All you can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On ESPN 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Holmes flushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw the score. And run to win. Here's Saquon Barkley. And he's off to the races. The 30, the 20. Saquon for six. The summer of football at eight. Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Fake to Armstrong. Run. Book five. Got time. Launching for the end zone. Jumper. Touchdown. Terrence Marshall. The Summer of Football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah! That's my dog! On Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Indeed, it is the Summer of Football right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Glad that you are with me. We turn now to a two-time Super Bowl champion. An analyst for the Big Ten Network. We've been talking earlier about what's going on with the coalition with the Big Ten. Howard Griffith joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Howard, Jonathan Hood, thanks for being with me. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. How are things going with you? Everything's going well, especially the reveal of the Big Ten schedule, which I will talk to you about in just a moment. But I, I want to get your thoughts. I, I opened the show by saying, you know, as you and I are both as Gen Xers, I didn't know you could say no. Uh, I didn't know that as a, a player you have were empowered to say, no, I, I'm just not going to do this. And it's interesting to watch the Pac-12 and Big Ten players come together. What was your initial reaction uh, to see these college athletes um, be able to put together a coalition when it comes to COVID-19? Well, I think one of the things that's important that we've seen, particularly over the last uh, three or four months, um, and also with the social unrest that the young people are starting to really find their voices. And I think that's important because they should have a voice. They should be able to speak their minds and be able to give input of things that they want and things that they want to have. So I'm excited to see them taking advantage of the opportunity to come together and start to ask the things that they feel are very important to them. Howard, if it's a big what if and it's a hypothetical, but I think it's relevant for our conversation when it comes to the intersection of COVID-19 and football. 
If the players in the Pac-12 and Big Ten did not come together and you left it amongst the athletic director and coaches to say, okay, here's our plan, you're going to play anyway, would the player, would the coaches even listen if there wasn't a coalition in place? You know, I think they would listen because I think if you start to look at from a conference standpoint, and also we have to remember, we talk about the coaches, all they want to do is go straight ahead. The football players, they want to play. Everybody wants to get out and participate this fall. But there's another uh, couple people that are also involved, and that's the president of these universities. And they've got a big say in what happens. And and also with the governing bodies, uh, with the governors and mayors of, of the states and and cities across the country also have a say in it. So I think that the, the coaches would have listened uh, because when you've seen the social unrest, we've started to see coaches really open up their minds and their eyes to the plights of other people other than them that don't look like them. So I believe that they would have listened, but there's always, this is, it's a lot of money involved here. Um, so there are going to be some situations where I think people push the envelope a little bit, but I think with within the Big Ten having a third-party test that's going to be responsible and being able to have a minimum of testing twice a week, uh, and that could increase depending upon that member institution in the Big Ten. Big Ten Network Analyst Howard Griffith with Jonathan Hood. There's a lot of old-school coaches in the conference that you cover and across the landscape of college football in general, Howard. I mean, you think some of these coaches – look at the players and look at this players kind of coming together as disrespect. And that's funny because I, I think in, in some ways they would have, if we haven't had the murder of, of George Floyd, because with, when we had that social unrest teams started to really come together and you really started not just teams, but I think you even look at corporate America when people started to listen uh, to what people had to say and some of their issues that they're having and the way you're, you're treated. So I believe and want believe that these coaches were starting to listen. Now, I understand that you can look at it from a, a standpoint of, of disrespect, but they have to be able to listen. They have to understand that the players that they're bringing into their, their universities come from different backgrounds and different walks of life. Uh, so being able to understand them and their plights is very important. And I think that's going to help them as they try to maneuver through COVID-19 because the reality is there are going to be some, there are going to be some positive tests during the season for college, with college football if we're able to get the season off. And the coaches that are able to be able to maneuver, pivot, make adjustments uh, are the ones that will have the most success as they move through this. So for those that have not seen from the Players' Tribune and is now on ESPN.com, some of the Big Ten player demands, third party approved by players to administer COVID-19 testing and to enforce all COVID-19 health and safety standards, sufficient penalties for noncompliance, amongst the others, has banned the use of COVID-19 liability waivers, coverage for all out-of-pocket medical expenses related to COVID-19, but short-term and the long-term incurred by active college athletes. You got a chance to see these demands. Um, do you believe this is doable? Do you believe that the, the Players' Coalition can win with a number of these bullet points? Well, I think when you talk about third-party testing, I think that's already that's already been a play. It's been announced that that's what's going to be happening uh, before. So I, I think part of the thing is, yes, these players have come together and they're, they're, they've come out and they put this document together, but they also had some help putting this document together. And the person that put the document together, I don't know if he actually, he or she actually 
knew exactly what the Big Ten Conference specifically was doing because some of these things have already been addressed. Now, the one thing that I believe that, that is important across the board is long-term medical health if, if a player contracts COVID-19 because we don't know. And, you know, that's something that, you know, hopefully, you know, they're able to get pushed through uh, to make happen. And I know some universities already, if there's some, a significant injury that a player has, they do pick up some of those costs uh, moving forward. Um, but this is still something that can be very clear and can be cleared up through the conference. And it'll be interesting to see what the conference response is to some of the other demands that they have on the list. Big Ten schedule was released, and normally we would be very interested in seeing the how the schedule is going to, to line up. I think that there is a lot of fluidity in this schedule, which I think is smart by the Big Ten, just in case. What stands out most about some of these matchups for the upcoming season? You know, that's the thing about it, right? You talk about the matchups, teams you know, added a game. I think the schedule is, is, is pretty balanced. Um, as far as matchups are concerned, you look at the Ohio State-Michigan game, which is traditionally uh, played later in the season. That game has been moved up, and I think they were trying to get those division games uh, taken care of early if possible. But then on the back end, you know, they, there's an opportunity that to, you do not have, if, you, if you're forced to, to miss some games or something happens, you have an outbreak, you're able to readjust the schedule. You have two bye weeks and I think the four, the four weeks at the end of the season. In that conference championship game, if everything were to go perfect as far as scheduling is concerned, they'll be able to move that up. So I think the biggest takeaway uh, is really is really just the ability to maneuver and move things around if need be when you look at the schedule more so than the matchups that that are out there the ability to to really create some some opportunities to play some games if you find yourself getting into trouble what Howard is really saying is that his alma mater, Illinois, is going to steamroll through this uh, this schedule, <laughs> starting with hell coming to breakfast against Ohio State in week one. Hello. That'll wake you up, right? That, that'll get the juices flowing. But, you know, it, actually, it's actually, if you think about it, um, in many ways, for a team like Illinois, having Ohio State that's going to come in as the favorite to win the Big Ten, uh, to be able to ha- now know that's who you're going to face that first week, it's not going to make it any easier, but I think you immediately get the attention of not only your staff, but obviously your players, and they're going to be playing that game here pretty soon, so they're going to have to get dialed in. I think they go to practice uh, either tomorrow or Friday, so they better get ready to go. <laughs> Lastly, Howard, I appreciate your time. Uh, again, this is something really big to find out whether or not we're going to get, have any kind of football, NFL or college, and how this is going to look. But if asked, would a young Howard Griffith play through this COVID-19? I, I, would, I would still be on the fence moving forward. I think the biggest thing for me would be, do I trust my coaches and administrators uh, at my school? I, I think that would be the first thing. And if you have some trust, in those those people there, then you can start to see is there a possibility. But I think this is going to be very fluid. We're seeing players that are uh, opting out. We're seeing it happen every day. You're going to see more as the season, as we get to the season and also through camp. And, and I think during the actual season, we're going to see it because it's very fluid. But to answer your question, today I would play with the season coming down the the road and you can see that because I think that's what players want. That's what coaches want. They want to get out there. 
But this thing could change in 12 hours. As you know, uh, it's very fluid, and, and I think people's um, ideas of what they ultimately want to do as far as their personal choices to, 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 to go out and play and possibly be infected are things that, that they're going to, each and every one of these players are going to have to take into uh, serious consideration along with, I'm sure, the guidance from their parents. Howard, I'm glad you spent some time with me. Uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with this college football season. Great to see the schedule. Now we want to see whether or not we're going to see some, uh, some action on the field. So I'm glad you stopped by. First, take your take. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. In the middle of summer of football right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Great to hear from Howard Griffith, friend of the show for many years, breaking down the... You know, what we could see for college football, uh, whether or not we're going to get a full season. I uh, talked earlier to Jeff Darlington as well. Jeff Darlington covers the NFL for ESPN.com. And just like college football, we're wondering about the National Football League as well. There was a story that came across before we came on the air today about the Packers. The first two home games, there will be no fans. So you could just see that there are some teams that are just monitoring everything closely. So I asked Jeff Darlington, who is an NFL insider for ESPN, I said, you know, what will the NFL look like during COVID-19? Man, you know what? I, like, I go back and forth on this. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times every day um, I get asked, no matter who I run into, um, you know, will there be football this year? And, like, I, I think there will be football. And I think that the NFL will try, seems very, um, very strongly about trying to charge forward and make this thing work. I'm just really like curious what happens when the inevitability of what happened in baseball after the second week with the Marlins, when that happens in, in football, what does that look like? Because to me, I think it's going to, it's just a lot different of a sport for as ugly as it seemed with baseball. I think it's going to be way worse if, and when that happens with football and it's how they manage it. Um, because I mean, it's a full contact thing, right? Like in baseball, at least you got to worry about the opposing team's uh, locker room and clean that up. But in football, like you got to expect that coming out, coming out of a a game, if anybody were to test positive, that both teams are now in jeopardy of a full blown outbreak. So it's, it's not, it's just to me, it's just a matter of how the NFL handles the inevitability of an outbreak, because it just feels like it's going to happen at some point. Jeff, for media types like you and I and just fans in general, the number one thing is about transparency. This is the criticism of Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball. Just tell everybody and tell the truth of exactly what's going on and what the plan is. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'll ask you the same thing from those that you've talked mm-hmm. to. Uh, what are the plans internally? Because we have not heard from Roger Goodell since he was right. wor- working out at the draft, you know, with the, with the, with the T-shirt on in his basement. Right. And I, I think that that's, that's, to your point, part of the issue is that it feels like the NFL did do a good job of putting out for like protocols in advance of kind of each step, whether it was, Hey, we're going to let 75 people into the facility for the first time. That was like the first protocol. And then the second protocol was you have to have this infectious disease plan that has to be approved. And, and they kind of like have been going down the line of that. These are the protocols and they do have protocols in place. For instance, a plan in place for, 
if a person tests positive that they can't, and if they're if they're asymptomatic and they test negative, they can return within I think five days. If they show symptoms, it's ten days. Um, so they have plans for those types of situations. I don't know if we're expecting too much for them to give us a plan of say, like what happens if ten players test positive, and I, I think that that's. I, I don't envy any of the decision makers in this. I think it's really hard, um, but it does definitely feel like every question, every answer to one question leads to like 20 other questions. And I just don't know if we'll get the answers to those until they happen. And that's a, that's a pretty scary proposition. It's funny how football and society intersect, right? It's the same, it's the same yeah. thing. You ask one question, there's, no, there's 20 more of what ifs, right? right? Totally. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally a societal thing. And that's, I think that's what's so interesting about it is that, like, especially from the standpoint, I can't tell you how many times when they were going through negotiations, people would, would hit me up on social media and be like, tell these players to stop, you know, stop being babies. Like, we all got to work. They got to go back to work, too. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that they can't ask questions and, and express the same concerns that, that people probably had when they were going back to their jobs. So there is totally a parallel with the rest of society, probably more so than ever before. Jonathan Hood, as we talked to Jeff Darlington, NFL insider for ESPN, um, a couple of on-the-field issues with Antonio Brown. Uh, what have you heard mm-hmm. about the interest in Antonio Brown? Is the, ju- is the juice worth the squeeze with Brown? <laughs> the ultimate question that every team has to ask. I mean, he's. I was talking to a head coach uh, this morning about it, and we were just kind of, Spitballing, I wish I could tell you who that was, but I, I can't at this point. But like, uh, and that was exactly the question: like, is is he worth it? Like, is it worth it? And and I think that that's a question that that all organizations have to ask themselves: um, Do you trust the situation? And you know, when you have the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and his cousin Marquise Brown advocating for him, saying yes, he's worth it. We've got this. Uh, I think that that's going to go a lot further than a team that might not know him well enough and just says, man, I don't know if we want to disrupt the locker room. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, I can't remember ever, you know, we've always had these risk-reward situations, um, so many of them, so often, when it comes to a guy being available. Is he worth it? Is the potential distraction worth it? I can never remember one that is, feels like more of a risk and more of a reward because he is that talented. And I think it's a question that every team across the NFL, uh, you know, I guess aside from the Steelers, Patriots, and Raiders, are probably asking themselves. Jeff, here's a question that you don't really answer or be really asked very often in interviews I see. Let me ask you about Derek Carr of the Raiders. He says he feels like he's been yeah. disrespected. We talk is, uh, glowingly about Patrick Mahomes, rightfully so. We talk about <laughs> what Sam Darnold and what other young quarterbacks could bring, like Kyle Murray. Uh, Kyler Murray, but we don't talk about Derek Carr. Right. Is, his, is his disrespect warranted? Uh, I guess it depends. I mean, I think we're kind of all on the same page with Derek Carr. Like, if the disrespect's fine, but aren't we all sort of like, all right, you know, like you seem like a pretty good quarterback, but, you know, like, what do you got? Like, let's see it. And if that's disrespect, then go prove otherwise, I guess. And I think that, uh, you know, he, he did have a good year, but he's had some down years, too. He is really talented. But I would also say that, like, internally, the conversations I have with people in the Raiders organization, they kind of feel the same way. It's like, all right, show us what you got, bud. Like, let's do this. So if that's disrespect, so be it. But I think that we're all I, – I, 
I feel like there's a pretty wide-ranging consensus on Derek Carr, and it is, yeah, he seems pretty talented. Uh, let's just go ahead and see what else he's got. Jeff, I'm glad you spent some time with us. Just want to get your thoughts on some of these big-picture storylines, especially with COVID-19 in the NFL. Yeah. We'll see what happens, right? Yeah, man, totally. Can't, can't wait, and I just hope we get some football, man. Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Time for Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you are with us. As always, we take care of those of you that are into combat sports, like the UFC and like boxing, and boys, just like both of these sports, going head-to-head on Saturday night. It just gives you the idea that, hey, live sports is back, whether it's basketball, whether it's golf, baseball, right around across the board. And UFC and boxing has been back. They're one of the two of the first sports to, to return during this COVID-19. Ray Flores covers both. And he joins us here as our combat sports expert as he calls us live from the bubble. Hello, Ray. Jonathan, how are you, my friend? I'm well, thank you. Now, explain to me first, before we go into this UFC card, August 8th, a top welterweight contender, uh, and is it James Shango? What do we have here? Jamal yes, Jamal yeah. James mm-hmm. uh, in, in, a, in a big fight here, but you're in the bubble. What, what's going on here? Why can't you just be out there with the people? Uh, well, I mean, Jonathan, you know that you and I are men of the people, but... During COVID-19, I'm going to be hosting the weigh-in tomorrow. So with that being said, I had to get tested on Sunday. I had to get a COVID test on Sunday. And then I had to come into the bubble earlier, you know, late morning, early afternoon. They gave me a COVID test. I am in quarantine until the results come back, you know, knock on wood, you know, negative. And then tomorrow I will be let out of the bubble where I can host the weigh-in. And then following that, since they don't want many people in the arena at the Microsoft Theater, I will be calling the fight from a remote studio here in Los Angeles. So I'm only in the bubble for a day and a half. But still, you know, I'm in the bubble experiencing what it's like, and I think everyone's doing a wonderful job keeping everyone safe. Well, tell us about that card, because that's, as you mentioned, at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, a really nice venue. Well, absolutely, Jonathan. It's a matchup between two top welterweights. They're fighting for an interim title. Jamal James from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's won six straight. You know, he is a boxer puncher, very aggressive, likes to come forward, fighting a hard-hitting Puerto Rican fighter in Tomas Delorme, who, you know, had came up short against Terrence Crawford years ago. He's rebounded since that time, having won, you know, two straight. So I think this is going to be an excellent fight. Both men like to come forward. Both men like to throw a lot of punches. Expect a barn burn on Saturday. Jonathan, this is a fight that I'm really excited about because both guys have been really maintaining their physique and their fitness levels, and I think we get a heck of a fight on Saturday night. And again, you've been in the bubble, so tell us about that test. I know you don't like people around your nose, so so, uh, (laughs) I wonder what that looked like. 
Well, I mean, here's the thing, Jonathan. I've gotten already three COVID tests done over the past three weeks. And, you know, it, it, it's never fun to have someone, you know, in your nose or whatever. But, you know, I'll tell you that when you enter the bubble, they disinfect all your bags. You know, they make sure it doesn't take long to be able to get the swab in your nose about maybe at the max 10 seconds. So, you know, it's nothing that's out of the ordinary, anything that's crazy. So, I mean, I, I've had a, actually a pretty good time here. They have food delivered, you know, to my room while I'm in quarantine and stuff. I cannot leave the room. My only knock. I don't have enough Diet Coke. I'm a Diet Coke fiend. I love it, and I don't have enough of it. So if we had a lot of Diet Cokes, I'd be in business, my friend. That's unbelievable. So you'll be doing the international television audience call of this for PremierBoxingChampions.com, R4P, for the PBC. Yep. All right. Ray Flores That's with correct. us here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Yeah, it's just it's so it's such the battle still between mixed martial arts and boxing to try to get viewers. Cause this is another night where you have to choose or you can tape one and watch the other. But the point is though, is that UFC has their show as well. The apex in Las Vegas, right? Absolutely. Jonathan, you know what? They're both good cards. And with the world, the DVR, just DVR the one that you don't want to watch live. I would suggest watching Jamal James and Delorme live and then <laughs> flipping course. on over and checking out ESPN Plus because you can go back and check that out as well. So that's what I would suggest. But, again, that is merely a suggestion uh, and nothing that I am, you know, directing. <laughs> of course not. All right. Tell us about this main event with uh, Derek Lewis. Uh, th- this will be very interesting. Jonathan, look. I love Derek Lewis. This guy comes to fight. Derek Lewis is the kind of guy that win, lose, or draw, you are going to get your money's worth. This guy comes out and throws punches and bunches, and he just unloads. The guy is a vicious fighter. I mean, to go ahead and take a look at what he has been able to do. I mean, this guy, if you look at his knockouts, he has 23 wins, 18 of those by knockout, a one submission, only four victories by decision. Of his seven losses, over half of them have come by knockout. So this is a guy, you know, he's won two straight. You know, the only time that Derek Lewis has really faltered over the past three or four years has been when he's moved up in class. Losses to Junior Dos Santos, Daniel Cormier, and Mark Hunt, and that is dating back about three years. So that's nothing to go ahead and, you know, that that's okay in my opinion because he is so tough and durable. He's taking on a guy, Alexi Olenek, and to show you about Olenek, he has been a professional since 1996. His record, wow. 59-13-1. This guy has been fighting. I was in grade school, and this guy turned pro. He is a tremendous submission fighter, but I think he's at the end of his days, and I think he's prime picking for Derek Lewis on Saturday. This is, and I was thinking, going into this fight, this is a showcase fight for Lewis. Of course, if the veteran uh, Olenek wins, now, okay, then that's good for him, but, you know, this is a showcase fight, so it makes me think, okay, how good is this card? Because, as you mentioned, you like Lewis, 10 knockouts, TKL victories. He's been terrific with takedown defense, up to 53% there. But this is kind of a showcase to see Lewis on the next level, isn't it? I would agree with you, Jonathan. And you know what? Typically, I don't dismiss events like that. But, you know, I, I would have to say that that is probably what the UFC is thinking. I mean, this is a matchup 
that is made to look Derek Lewis good because, you know, if you look at it, just the, the experience, Olenek is long in the tooth. Another guy who's long in the tooth is Chris Weidman. Weidman mm-hmm. is in the co-main event. He is fighting, you know, a guy, you know, Akhmedov, and Weidman has lost five of six. Of those five, all of them have been by stoppage. Taking a guy on Akhmedov, who is 24-1, and this guy's 32 years of age. So it's the, the very similar mentalities in regards to the main event, the co-main event. Akhmedov is a striker. Weidman, you know, is a striker, but, you know, has sort of lost his reflexes in recent memory. Uh, Akhmedov has won three straight victories. He's the, you know, the younger, fresher fighter. So, you know, both the main event and the co-main event are tailor-made to sort of, you know, put over the A side, in my opinion, even though Weidman, from a name standpoint, is the A side, but, you know, from an X's and O standpoint, he's clearly on the downside of his career. You like to have, uh, you know, the, the the terrific fine things in life when you are on the road in the hotel. So how are you getting your food? Is it the same way that you usually get room service or do they put it at the door for you? No, so what happens, Jonathan, is you have, they give you set times as Uh In that door, they have gloves and masks, and you have to put on your mask, and they give you two options. The food here has been terrific, but, again, I just I don't have my choice of beverages. And I'm not talking alcoholic-wise. I'm talking from a caffeine standpoint. I'm a Diet Coke man. What can I say? So we don't have that, but that's my only complaint. Other than that, the food is uh, they give you the food. You don't have to – you don't really have too many options, but that's okay because it's been pretty good. And, you know, once I get clear, then I'm able to move around the bubble a little bit more within the confines of the hotel. But even here, we cannot deal with the common public until we are released from what we're doing. Well, my friend, um, you are—you have uh, looked at this card, and you're not very happy with this UFC card. This is why you're looking forward to the to PBC. You're well, more excited I mean, about that. It's—it sounds like to me that this is more like a showcase event, but not necessarily one of those great pay-per-view events that you'd usually get from UFC. No, definitely not, and Jonathan. You know, I'll tell you how it is. I'll say, hey, look. You know, order both of them or, or watch both at the same time if you can. I know in your lovely palatial estate, you got four or five TVs that you can watch multiple things at a time. I've seen it. You know what I mean? I hope the alligators are being fed. But nonetheless, my friend, you know, I'm just, you know, this is a card that I think you could watch after the BBC card. You got Jamal James Delorme on the boxing side. You got David Morrell, who's 2-0, and fighting against the kid that's undefeated at 22-0. and Morrell is a Cuban sensation. They think he's going to be the next big thing at 168 pounds. So the main event, the co-main event of the PBC boxing event is far greater than that of the UFC event. All you have to do is turn on SportsCenter and you get a highlight reel knockout of Derek Lewis handling business against his adversary in Olenek, and then you'll probably see Akhmedov wipe out Chris Weidman, and then Dana White will tell Weidman to retire, and Weidman will go fight for Bellator. So you know how that works. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. All right. Well, I just wanted to get your your thoughts because it's two big events. I'm not surprised. Uh, Head-to-head, definitely, you know, I'll I'll support you, and I'll look over to ESPN Plus to see what I can get there. So it'll be a busy Saturday. Always a pleasure, my friend. You know what? Uh, yeah, this bubble is something different, but it's the way of life how it is for the foreseeable future. My friend, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Have a great one, Jonathan. Take care. It is uh, Ray Flores in the bubble in Los Angeles as he gets ready for our premier boxing. He joins us right here 
on ESPN 1000. I don't know about you, Eric, but I think he's underwhelmed by the UFC card. I think that's the problem. I think I think he's un- underwhelmed by by the UFC. He's still card. complaining on the phone to me about it. So yeah, but definitely. The, about the diet coke, also. Oh, all of the above. <laughs> yep. I like it. I like that he's having like he's living the life. Remember, this is the guy that was a centerpiece for all the that uh, Mayweather McGregor stuff. He was right there. In the he middle was of in the middle of all the weigh-ins and everything. Yep, I loved it. How crazy is that? Like a guy that we know, just like he's traveling on the same plane, uh, Lear Jets with uh, Mayweather as they go from place to place to promote their fight when they had it. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. It's fun to watch. It's it's so fun when you flip on a fight and it's like, oh my god, that's Ray. It's so much fun. I love it. I really do. He's on he's on on the promos too for this uh, PBC, which is kind of cool as well. All right, um, we're glad that you're with us here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Ah. Eric, it says here that we should compare the viewing uh, experience uh, for the for the sports that we're seeing during this COVID nineteen. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a few sports right now that that are all going on, and they're all doing it a little differently. Let's talk about it next, right here on Under the Hood. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Glad that you're with us. A good question about looking at the viewing experience of these different sports. Of course... All these sports do not have fans. It started off with the UFC. You had the pro wrestling with AEW and the WWE Impact Wrestling. You see this with baseball, basketball, and hockey are now in the bubble. So it's compelling. It's just different. But, Eric, as I take a look at these sports, I think that what basketball and hockey have done by having this bubble plan, it you know, because of the big screens, definitely in basketball, it's it's just different. But not necessarily a detriment to me as a as a viewer as a fan. No, I I really like how both basketball and hockey have like cut down what you're watching as a viewer. They've they've basically walled off the stadium, so both the ice rink and the court feel like a stage. Mm-hmm. So and and they set up cameras for it. They set up mics for it. And I, I just like that viewing experience a lot more than I, I am watching baseball right now. And they can't help it because you have to do all these wide shots and just these wide shots of these desolate stadiums. It, it, it's a little bit of a hard thing for me to watch. Baseball is a tough watch if you're really into the fans. And the, you, know, you get the sound, but you see a lot of empty seats or you see those placards. Which to me is better than, than just the empty. Some, some stadiums just haven't filled them at all. They haven't tarped any seats. They don't have any of the cardboard cutouts there's just empty like behind the butt but like you need to have something i feel like behind the batters like in in that area behind home plate like have have the something for me to be distracted with uh, the yankees have a tarp behind their home plate they almost have to do that in a regular season lately that's true with those <laughs> seats they can't sell those seats and that's something in a brand new stadium and you can't fill the the prime seats i noticed that in like day games and night games it's usually empty back there uh, that's a really good point. I just, <laughs> I, I think that you should have at least something back there. Because remember, the bottom line is, it's a television product. 
It's about TV. Exactly. What looks good it, on TV? It's for the people on the couch. And like that's why, again, I feel like basketball and hockey have done such a good job. Again, they, they can do the close shots, but like basketball's added that camera on the sideline that can go up and down the baseline to like you get different views. So like we're getting different shots and different hearing different things from hockey and, and basketball that, that we're not really we're not getting that really in baseball at all. Hockey's like it's on Mars. It's kind of funny. Like the whole thing is just all the seats are tarped off, and you it just they get the overhead shot, and you're like, where is this happening? Is this it's cool. Really? It's just screens and and, and like <laughs> right. just lights everywhere. What have you thought of the uh, virtual fans at at the NBA games, like in the screens? Oh, it's cool. I think it's fun. We had Lil Wayne pop up the other day. Yeah. Uh, I think LeBron had a bunch of students and teachers for the the school he built. Out in Akron. So you had a bunch of them in there. I think that effect has, has been fun. It's been cool because I got used to it, and we first saw this kind of thing with the draft, the NFL draft, where it's a bunch of fans that were just cheering, and, you know, like Goodell said, get the fans going. He's like, hey, let's go, let's go, Kansas City Chiefs fans. And so that's the first time that we saw that, and then we see the virtual fans there. It's great. It's fun. You get a Paul Pierce popping up. You get a Shaq. <laughs> yeah, Pierce was falling asleep in his. <laughs> they were getting blown out, and there's like him like dozing off in the seat. It was it was fun. Yeah, so t- for me, it's about a television product. So whatever you can do to make it as close as possible to the real thing. I mean, the action's real, but you just want to have something around it to make it look good. So I totally agree with you there. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to Eric Ostrowski on the other side of the glass for producing and directing the show. Tomorrow, we have the baseball show at 6 o'clock on Friday the 7th right here on ESPN 1000. Hope that you could be with us. And don't forget to download the podcast. Look for the ESPN Chicago app and click on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.